five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Twitley. <laughs> the pregnant pause plus your uh, your MacBook giving you a little like bleep of a second there just adds flavor to the yeah. show. <laughs> I'm going to be so happy. We're professionals, with, folks. I'm going to be so happy when the new MacBooks come out and you order one. I mean, I'm, it, it will be the the day they they get announced. The first day you can order them or pre-order them, I will be hitting buy because I I you know saved up my my uh, lunch money or whatever, and I have the cash. I'm ready to buy one, and I've been waiting. How long? I mean, how long has this been? I mean, it's obviously been a long time, right? They're twice as they're kind of the product cycle this time is twice as long as normal, basically. Yeah, at um, least. I mean, it, it's so. It's been pretty atrocious, but um, like today, I, I was talking with a friend uh, who's younger, and uh, she said that at her work, she sat down and they had a, like a desktop in front of her, and it was the first time she's ever used a desktop. So oh, wow. yeah, so you know, it, it's a brave new world where mobile really is first, you know, and and those of us who grew up with desktops and 27 inch screens and those types of things. Like we, we think everybody operates like this. Um, that's not the case. You know I mean? Computers are appliances now. That's true. I mean, I, I do recognize and I do feel kind of like my desire for a new MacBook pro does show my age, right? It shows the generation the, the type of user that I am on the one hand, I guess that's a high end user because most of their, they're certainly not making all their money on the high end MacBook pros, right? <clears throat> they're making them well, maybe on iPads and on the low end MacBook and MacBook air. Yeah. Like, which is where I think, right. The MacBook, MacBook expanding, air, but, iPhones, right. 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 So, you know, so I, I recognize, I recognize that and that there's a way in which I'm probably, I am much to my chagrin, you know, one of these people that's kind of holding on, like, you know, my last gasp at computing as I know it. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. Just, just release it. This mid-2010 has performed admirably, but it is time to give it a new home. Well, I think, I think they're, you know, I think Apple is kind of showing as well that, like, there's a reason they dropped computers from their name i mean for a long time they were apple computers inc and then right. they dropped computers right. from the name in what 2010 when the ipad came out and i think that was intentional um you know and i think uh we're in this world now where mobile is the computer and i mean eventually um not eventually very soon we're moving through this weird transition already uh where we're seeing the the end of the app economy and we're seeing uh, app developers, especially, like really struggling with trying to get ROI right. on their apps. Uh, you know, and Apple's pushing this with the Apple Watch, and and we're seeing you know Google push this with Google Now st- uh, type stuff. But especially things like the the Amazon Echo with Alexa and their new music offering. Um, you know, for four bucks, right. you get basically like Spotify through your Alexa, and I'm I'm signing up for that tonight because we have an Echo. Um, right. You know, but- but, but that's the thing is you have to have uh, you have to have an echo. But right, but so I, that's what I'm saying. I think computers are are, are going to go from being this kind of huge, expansive, like uh, you know, this is everything and all all the world's information is available to you, and you need a, a keyboard and a mouse and a screen, and you can get there. 
And now that went from that sort of convention into, well, all you need is a screen. And now it's going into, well, all you need is your voice and you can have all the world's information. So I really do think like people aren't going to have computers. Like they might get into their car. They'll have some kind of a mobile device, but it's going to be like a Wikipedia phone or a Google phone or an Apple phone or Siri phone, whatever, Amazon phone, where you're not bringing up apps to do things. And that's already kind of passe, but you're, you know, you're, you're directing your phone. You're saying, hey, I want to get to this place. Hey, uh, you know, what's, what's the stock market doing today? Uh, or call this person, do this thing, achieve this for me. You know, who, why was the Spanish-American War instigated? Like, who caused that? You know, who sunk the main? Uh, that's where computing is heading. And it, it's going to be less and less about these keyboards and mice and mouses and, and whatever. And even websites. Um, you know, we're seeing the end of those. And I think within five to ten years, like, most websites will be built by robots. And not like, you know, Jetsons-type robots. But, you know, <laughs> right. you'll put in what you, want to, what you want, and all of a sudden you'll get back, like, a beautifully designed website. Kind of Squarespace that's automated. Um, and, and, you know, all that kind of overhead that we have from our generation of computing is rapidly going away as these 25-year-olds start coming into, you know, more and more of the mainstream economy. Um, because, you know, for better or for worse, yeah. you want to reach the 25 to 40 year olds as your demographic. So, you know, but, but the one pushback I would have is uh, I saw a study this week that, um, actually, um, I guess millennials or whatever, but I, I think that was the demographic, but prefer to read their news. Like they as opposed to consume it via video or audio. And so, you know, a lot of journalists that write, you know, print journalism, but even web journalism, but you know, writers were saying, you know, very tongue in cheek, oh, it's a good thing that no major news organizations have laid off all of their writers in favor of video. You know, but, but millennials like are old some now. Have. I mean, you know, right, like, right. Well, older millennials, millennial world, right, where right. we kind of fall in like older millennials. But, but I, but I think that that we are seeing this. That so, yes, yeah, so we're going to see video and stuff. But I, I think where video has a chance to really expand is in like silent video, right? Because there are a lot of you know, you think about actual use cases. People are often rather they're in a lot of situations where they are not maybe comfortable. Um, because of their understanding of like tech etiquette, playing videos out loud, playing their Snapchat out loud. Maybe it's with headphones. You know, a lot of people are doing that. But there's a lot of there's a lot that people want to do on their phones when they're in places, you know, public places or something where it's maybe not acceptable or not preferable to play the audio. And so that's why they want to have things that are silent. So you can see silent videos, and, and that kind of was pushed a little bit. I haven't seen as much of it anymore. Kind of autoplay silent videos with text. Um, I'm kind of expecting a little bit more of that. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think that. <clears throat> All right. So I'll let you just kind of bring us back in uh, if you want to. Uh, Cause I don't know if that ended in a way that we can just move on and not address it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it kind of did. I'll, I'll bring it back around. Okay, cool. All right. All right, so I just had an I.O. error with Skype. <laughs> and, uh, Thomas was making a really good point about uh, media and, and – not media, I guess, but like interaction with websites and finding information and using um, voice and 
you were making the point about silent video and things like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and how, quote, the young people are able to um, watch a Snapchat story without broadcasting it to the whole class or to, you know, to the right. whole business or, you know, whatever, whatever situation they're in. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really good point, but I don't know. I mean, you know, speaking of, of, of silent video, it feels like in a lot of ways our country's gone back to the early 1900s in other ways as well. <laughs> yes. I mean, okay. I don't, man, I don't even know. Like, obviously I've been writing a lot about this, you know, for our listeners that follow me on Twitter, they've been seeing some of this and, you know, writing some stuff and, and also like, I feel like I've been involved in more things because I've been editing some pieces that we've been putting up at Marginalia too, since that's one of my roles there as, as an editor. So, um, so I've written some, but edited some too. And I'll just say like, we have some really great, uh, stuff up there now just to plug that. But like, I was like, okay, so Rudy Giuliani says, Oh, have you not to get like theological about it, but have you heard of, you know, St. Augustine and his confessions and, you know, anybody can change basically saying Donald Trump is like St. Augustine because, you know, Augustine has this, you know, this famously wild childhood. And um, then he has this huge conversion experience. And so I was like, okay, who's going to write for us uh, about Augustine? And it gets passed around Twitter a little bit. And David Hunter is like, hey, I'll write for you, who is just a fantastically brilliant professor of early Christianity. So I was like, yeah, so he's got a great piece up uh, on Augustine and so a, on Augustine and Trump. So there's some really good, good stuff up there now. But the the big question to me and then I and I said I put this out on Twitter today is like evangelicalism, American evangelicalism is having a moment right now, but not in the good way that you want to have a moment. Right. They are kind of living out an existential crisis for all to see. And it's really difficult uh, for, I think, a lot of one, it's difficult for a lot of people who who are still evangelicals. But I also think it's difficult for people like me who are former evangelicals. Um, and I mean, I, I wrote a piece where that basically I said that evangelical theology is partially to blame for um, allowing the for preaching a type of masculinity that Trump embodies and allowing that to stand right that they they oh. are partially responsible for for making our rape culture sustainable. So I obviously have a lot of thoughts about evangelicalism, <clears throat> but it is really it is also difficult because on the one hand. Right. I think a lot of liberals have this kind of schadenfreude about it, right? Like, oh, good for them. They're hypocrites. And now we're kind of seeing you know, everybody gets to see them for the hypocrites that they are. I actually don't think that's that's a horrible thing to point out because there are some ways that I think not all evangelicals, of course, right? Hashtag not all evangelicals. Um, but there are certainly ways that I think that some evangelical theology is dangerous, and uh, and, you know, personally, I think some of this needs to be called out. But it's also interesting because you have a lot of other evangelicals now who are saying, no, we're not going to go along with this. Right. So there's all this. It was kind of amazing after the tapes came out, the Trump tapes came out, um, that the vast majority of the people that were supporting Trump were evangelical or at least conservative, you know, religious figures. And that it just kind of felt perfect. Right. Right. 
for things that people like me have been saying for a long time. And but then now in the days to follow, you have more evangelicals, Beth Moore and, and a lot of other prominent um, evangelical women have come out. And now you have a student group at Liberty coming out against um, not just Donald Trump, but also Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty. Uh, so you have more people coming out against them. Russell Moore has been against them, um, you know, and some others. So it's really interesting, I guess, to see this this happen like you're saying, feels like we're kind of going back to you know the 19th century or whatever um, to see this kind of evangelicalism having this kind of moment on such a public stage. All right, so you you had a lot of big concepts. Yeah, there was there. a lot there. Sorry, I've been thinking about this a lot, and no, we I haven't, had, we haven't done a show recently. I, I mean, know. we did one a little while ago, and it got all screwed up. Yeah, but. It got messed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, put put all this in the show notes, but. Okay, so when we say evangelical, like, what does that mean when we say – because, I mean, at one point you just said, like, evangelical or, I mean, you know, conservative Christians, which those are two different segments, you know, if you right, want to well, segment that out. Not, yeah, right. No, okay, go ahead. You know, so I, I think <clears> – I'm trying to think of a, a good way to say this while swallowing – a beverage. I, I think uh, the idea of conflating conservative Christianity into what we've always called pure, you know, big E evangelical Christianity is easy to do, and and yes, it should be done. But at the same time, like at Liberty, as you were saying, there are students who are speaking out against Trump. There are evangelical leaders who are speaking out against Trump. Um, but I mean, but what is you know, it's like saying liberal Christianity. Like, what does that mean? Like, what what does conservative Christianity mean? What does evangelical Christianity mean anymore? Um, you know, I think we've we've gotten to a point with these titles and and descriptors that those types of those types of adjectives that that really meant something in the 1980s and 1990s don't really apply anymore. Um, well, so it, you know, I'm I'm saying like. When I see posts on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or you know whatever your persuasion is, and and they're either decrying or supporting the evangelical take on Trump or the evangelical take on Hillary, it just comes across as very kind of vapid because it like that you know it's like saying the black church supports Hillary, right? Well, right. Sure, but not all. <laughs> like, okay. what does that mean? So, so in my defense, I wrote last September about the myth of the evangelical voting bloc, right? I think we talked about it on the show probably. Um, yeah, we did. And basically saying that, that this is a problem, that people talk about how evangelicals vote, as if all evangelicals vote the same way as if they all vote um, on the same issues. And that the best determinant of how people vote are their politics, not what their purported religious beliefs are. Right. And all religion is politics anyway. So so I did I did write that a year ago. So I, I feel, you know, at least good about that. And, and I and I I agree with completely what you're saying. You know, I'm the first to talk about the problematic nature of classification in general. What's interesting to me is that now what I said a year ago, that this idea of an evangelical block that that is a myth and 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 using that kind of the colloquial term meaning that it's false that it's that it's you know a story essentially um 
that we are now seeing that come to fruition on a national stage now, right? Because we are seeing these the stereotypes of evangelicalism. Um, I don't know, masquerade themselves in front of the country, right? Where, you know, for years they've been talking about you have to be ethical and you got to be a good moral person and you got to be born again. And then Trump comes on the stage, doesn't even care about the Bible, doesn't even pretend to care about the Bible, right? Brags about being an adulterer, um, you know, all of these things. And then most recently brags about uh, committing sexual assault, and then you still have evangelical leaders supporting him. So this is – what this does is it just reinforces every stereotype that the left has had about evangelicals for decades. But what you're also seeing, or you're, you are seeing this other group of evangelicals, Russell Moore has kind of been in this group for a long time, saying that we cannot do that. And so we are seeing, I think, a fairly significant split occurring in American evangelicalism. And it is causing people to say exactly what you're saying, I think, and that, wait, we need to be a little bit more nuanced about the terms that we use, right? Because we can't talk about evangelicalism in broad strokes anymore. Right. I mean, it's like saying, you know, the, the I mean, you know, Donald Trump got in trouble in the last debate about saying the African-Americans. Right. You know, and we talk about the women vote and we talk about the male vote. Uh, you know, those are all categories that, sure, I mean, that worked 15, 20 years ago when we were all watching Dan Rather uh, and we had the Nielsen ratings and we could say, oh, well, this many households, you know, these 1,000 households in the U.S. are watching these programs. So that's what everyone's watching. But that's broken down, you know, because, right, you know, lots of people don't have cable. Lots of people don't watch this. Lots of people watch this. Lots of people don't have TVs, whatever. Right. Um, and I, f- I feel like politics hasn't caught up to that kind of uh concept i I think you're absolutely and and religion especially i mean both of those yes because those are are the two things that are sacred you know it's like you are going to be either um you know you're a christian or okay so you're a christian are you baptist or are you methodist or are you catholic or presbyterian you know whatever your right right your region supports and on the other side, it's, well, of course you're political because everybody's got to have a, a party. So are you Democrat or are you Republican? Like, it's a binary choice. Um, where I grew up, you're either Baptist or Catholic. Right. Um, you know, and, and now you're either Democrat or Republican. And so I don't know. So, okay. So my question is then, right, we're seeing this as I was talking about on kind of such a national stage uh, and, and agreeing with everything that you've said. Then do you think that we're seeing – what I would maybe term like the death of American evangelicalism, mm. right? Or the end of evangelicalism as we know it. I, I would say the, the end of what the press calls evangelicalism. Because, I mean, you know, those of us who would call ourselves that would say it's been around since Jesus was walking around. <laughs> you know, like, I know. We, we have this conversation on and off about like how you still want to hold on to this label of evangelical. I do. I do. <laughs> You know, because I mean, you read it. You know, read the read the quote definition. You know, read definitions of what people think that right. that means. And yeah, you know, that sounds pretty good. Um, I want to call myself an American, uh, but but the idea that there is some, you know, Jerry Falwell group that speaks for all evangelicals, or you know, there's 
Pat Robertson who speaks for all evangelicals or, or that you can go to the New York Times and read a read a post with a with a nice chart that says evangelicals think this about Trump and like that's not anywhere near realistic <laughs> but right. you know and we, we try to make inferences based on data and I'm I'm all about the data I mean it's what I do for my my job but in terms of core I guess quantifying and qualifying uh voters and people based on that type of a demographic that's really squishy is is difficult and I, I don't think it's the death of evangelicalism as much as as it's the death of overgeneralization. Um, it's it's the death of normativity, you know. So it's like saying when when you go to a forum on on like a, you know you get something like a hey go fill this thing out on the internet and and you go to the forum to fill this thing out and it says what's your what's your sex are you male or female like that's that's normative and a lot of forums I'm seeing now are male female. I choose not to identify, I identify as other. Right. You know, and, and I think we're getting to that point now with politics and religion where, you know, normativity is, is slowly but surely creeping in. Um, do I think we're going to split up into a parliamentary system of, you know, 18 different parties? I would hope so, but I don't think that's right. the case. <laughs> but sadly uh, not. Right. You know, but, but being a, you know, being a congregational-based Protestant evangelical that's happened with Christianity, you know, and, and I think that's okay. And I, I think, you know, when, when I have to explain, well, I'm a Baptist, but I'm this type of a Baptist, you know, like that's, that's a, a qualification within a qualification within a qualification. Uh, right. And, and I think that's going to be more and more common, but I think the news that the, the 22 minutes that, that, you know, Craig Melvin or whoever gets, I went to college with Craig, so I can say that from MSNBC. <laughs> nice. We're good buddies. I like Craig. I like Craig Craig's a lot. Craig's awesome. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've had many good times together. Um, so, you know, watching Craig on TV trying to explain something in 22 minutes on the evening news, um, it's, it's hard. So you've got to have these generalizations, but because of the web, that's not authentic anymore. And people okay. want authenticity. All right, so so I I okay I can't agree with you more about how we're seeing kind of you call it the death of normativity we might call it the rise of nuance something like that and then whether we're actually seeing that or not the necessity for that but we do still have this data that shows us for instance I mean I saw a poll that came out today that was taken completely after the tapes were released, et cetera. Right. So we can make those just, you know, we can talk about it in that regard that 68% of people that self identify as evangelical still support Donald Trump. So what do we do with that? Right. That where that's um, the significant majority of people that self identify as evangelical still support Donald Trump. So how do we, how do we hold that data Intention with this idea that we need to uh, kill generalization, and and how do we how do we hold those in concert with one another? Because they I think they re- they exist right now in tension with one another. Yeah, I mean I mean I would say like let's look at the at the survey like uh, it, you know you can call up anyone and say like do you identify as a patriot? Well sure, okay well do how do you feel about guns? Oh well, no, it, like you know, it's it's kind of that that skip logic that's in every poll or or every type of right, like, right, right. survey, um, yeah, where, where yeah. people start identifying themselves based on how they think they want to be represented. Oh, certainly, yeah, absolutely. 
you know, so it's like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, uh, I'm from the Gallup organization. I'm calling you tonight. Um, just wanted to ask you some questions about the presidential election. And all of a sudden, you flip. And as much as people want to say they're undecided, that's not true in this election. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Well, I think we're seeing a similar thing with kind of the rise of the nuns, right? Yeah, that, exactly. That, and I think we're seeing that kind of in concert with the rise of people describing themselves as moderate or independent. So I, I agree with you on that. But, but my – okay. So in my estimation, the only identification that matters are the identifications people self-identify. Okay, that's not true. When we talk about <laughs> someone's identity, right. what matters is, there's, is how they self-identify. And then we can talk about what's going on rhetorically when other people are identifying them and classifying them, et cetera. And I'm, I'm here to do that all day. But if you, if you ask somebody you know, your kind of religious affiliation and you give them this list of options and they choose evangelical – that's all we can go off of, right? Because no one has the authority. A lot of people want to claim the authority, but no one actually has the authority to say, no, this is what evangelicals are, and you're not an evangelical, right? But, people are constantly people are trying to do that, but there are people for whatever reason, like yourself, that want to hold on to this label, evangelical. And of those people, 70% of them apparently still nearly 70% <laughs> – support donald trump so the question is okay so are you voting for donald trump (laughs) well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna disclose that on live television with (laughs) greg melvin but the the idea that come on we gotta make news here tonight sam i mean the idea that you still think that that you know when people answer these surveys from gallup or or rasmussen or whoever the first question is not, are you an evangelical? The first question no, 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 is, sir. are you are you religious? Yes. Are you Christian? Or are you Muslim? Or are you, like, please identify your, your thing. And, and they're going to say Christian. And then it's like, okay, do you identify as an evangelical? People want to look good. They're going to say, yeah, because, evangel- you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelical. Okay, well, who are you going to vote for? Trump. You know, and, and you get that phone tree trunk idea. And that's why phone surveys are... I mean, coming from my job, phone surveys are typically one of the least, and especially phone surveys in connection with online surveys, are typically like, yeah, yeah, like you can you can glean some insights from it, but you don't want to take everything verbatim. So when I see Rasmussen or Gallup put out a, or CNN or or New York Times slash uh, Quinnipiac put out a poll about how evangelicals with a capital E are voting, that that gives me pause because I understand how surveying works and I, I you know, right. this is something I do. And But to me, the next step then, and the question that you're asking then is, okay, knowing that, why then do so many people want to identify that way? And then I would then follow that up with, okay, of the people that want to identify that way, you know, we still have a significant majority of them that say they support Donald Trump, right? So, so I don't, I don't disagree with you at 68% all. Sixty percent is how, not a significant. Sixty-eight percent, you said. Sixty-eight percent is a significant percentage. That's, that's a significant majority. <laughs> I, but, but you know, what are the demographics like? Where are they calling? What time of okay, the day are they so calling? What, right, what age I mean, group are they calling? Certain, 
Yeah, they're dealing with they're polling experts that are dealing with all of that, and they're factoring all of that, and and that's why they have the whole polling affairs, industry. Thomas, this whole field the whole of, polling industry. Yeah, there's this whole field of statistics, right? That that is that you know is built for that. So exactly, and you know how the you know how the statistics industry that deals with polling, like Quinnipiac and all these places, you, you know how they make their money. The statistics industrial complex. No advertising. So you got to make big news. So you got to go out there and you got to sell the stuff to CNN. You got to sell the stuff to MSNBC. You got to get Craig Melvin talking about it. You got to get Anderson Cooper asking questions in front of the nation during a you know 25, 30 million people watching debate scenario. And the way you do that is because you come out with something pretty outlandish. And they're not making their money from universities who are supporting their research. They're making the money their money from advertising. And so universities don't have any money. <laughs> No, well, I mean, okay. they do, but well, they they're, do, but they're, they're paying it to STEM. They don't care about um, this. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this then. Let, let's get away from the polling question. Um, what, do we, what should we say about American evangelicalism this cycle from what we see publicly? What do you? Where do you think we are going? This is a question I got on Twitter today, right? So where, where, what's the next step? Where is evangelicalism going? Because I was kind of talking about this. Um, so where is it going based on what we see, you know, in public, in the news over this cycle, and the way that so many prominent evangelicals, even if they're not um, representative of any sort of capital evangelicalism that they have been supportive of Donald Trump, even through, you know, all of these heinous things. Um, where are we going? What's going to happen to evangelicalism? Well, I'll push back and say there's no such thing as American evangelicalism. Okay. Like, if you're an evangelical, you shed the flag. Like, sure, you can be a patriot, whatever, like support your country, but that's not a classification that you're going to go with. So if you're if you're an evangelical, like you've got a whole separate, uh, separate, you know, set of allegiances. Not to sound like I'm in Al Qaeda or something, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, honestly, like like, Shore, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Uh, the idea that that there is something that could be quantified as American evangelicalism is it's it's like saying you know, how, how do you like your NASCAR uh, NFL? Like, which way are they going to drive and who's going to throw the football? You know, like, it doesn't make sense to try to meld those two things, even though that would be a, a heck of a game. Um, and they actually did play a college football game in, at Bristol Motor Speedway. Not with cars going around, but... Right, yeah. with, but that would have been awesome. I know. Right? I know. I was hoping. you got to dodge the cars, too. <laughs> He's going to touch... Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, I, I think... Our, you and I come from similar perspectives, even though we differ on you know these types of questions. But I think our perspective on these types of things have led us to this point. I don't think it's I don't think it's the Donald Trump perspective that's led us to this point in American politics and American evangelicalism, whatever that means. You know, it's, it's like an armadillo, like it shouldn't exist, and you should run over it if you see one. I, I think. Do you have armadillos in Tallahassee yet? Oh yeah, no, we've got plenty of them. Yeah, we yeah. see them. I see them dead on the side of the road all the time. Yeah, they're, they're, there's like an armadillo map online, and you can like track how close they're getting. And they're in South Carolina now. Evidently, they're like worse than you know raccoons or something. Anyway, raccoons are cool. Uh, possum, 
possum were kind of cool too, though. Anyway, uh, the idea that that by trying to understand and quantify this stuff, we're kind of engendering it. You know, it's 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 the Shakespeare problem, right? You know, like like we're giving it a name and therefore we're giving it power. Uh, what is that? That's not Othello. It's uh, Macbeth. What is it? What is what, what, he talks about engendering? Yeah. Some kind of thing and it creates. Oh gosh, I'm so far. Out know, you were the one that did a degree in like literature or something, right? Not me. It was art and those Dante. Art. That's close enough. Art and literature. But I mean, it was Dante. Uh, and so the idea that you know we can we can say American evangelicalism is dead or American liberal Protestant Christianity is dead because Reinhold Niebuhr died and we moved on from that kind of progressive Christianity where we thought we could cure the world and Martin Luther King came out of that and the you know 1968 when he was shot that's the the day that American liberal progressive Christianity died that's not I mean yes that made sense in 1988 that doesn't make sense now, you know, 30 years, 40 years later. God, it's 40 years ago. Um, you know, now we live in a world where I think we're realizing that labels like that are hard to define. And and I don't think people – I don't think people that are voting for Trump are pushing back against Hillary Clinton. I don't think they're pushing back against being called conservative or being called racist or being called pepes or whatever – or misogynist, they're pushing back against the idea that people can label them. Just like people on the left, I would say, are pushing back against that. And that was the Bernie movement. You know, it was like, oh, well, those are just the young people who don't have jobs, and they're the millennials, and they don't know anything about politics. And that's, you know, yeah, they would have voted for Ralph Nader back in the day. And we need to contain that because this is the moderate Democrat candidate that we need to, you know, we need to focus on. Um, I think both sides were kind of pushing back against those types of, of descriptors. And the Trump side is still there, loudly. But that Bernie side is still there, too. And and there's lots right. of that, but they've kind of coalesced around Hillary. And we've put to bed all the, you know, all, all the stuff that, that we had to rail against Hillary for, some of us have. Um, you know, and on the Trump side, it's like, well, no, you know, like, no, you, you can't call me that. You can't say like, oh, you're a white male. So blah, 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 blah. Just like we wouldn't say you're a black female. So blah, 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 blah. So, okay. So you might get tired of hearing me talk about things that I wrote, but I I wrote for church history last May, uh, a piece asking if we were seeing the, the fall of the religious right. Right. It's a a question people have been asking. That's a big piece. Yeah. People have been asking this for 20 years, and I was like, I think we're seeing something different here. I, I don't know. Maybe we're not, but maybe that's what we're seeing the the death of instead of maybe American evangelicalism or something. But And by that, this kind of politically powerful conservative Christian religious movement on the right that has clear leadership, right? The clear leadership has been gone for uh, quite a while, actually, and – evangelicalism. But it seems to me that such a public fracturing, one, such a public display of hypocrisy among some evangelical leaders is just taking away kind of any ounce of um, 
I don't know, integrity that they have in the but, public sphere. But what is hypocrisy? But then, but then at I'm the sorry. same time, seeing this very public fracturing among other evangelicals saying, that is not us. We are not those type of, right? You say, I'm not that type of Baptist. And they're saying, we're not that type of evangelical, right? So maybe what we're seeing is is the the diminishing power of conservative evangelical Christianity as kind of the voice of religion, in our country. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we've, we're quickly moving into a post-normative situation where if you're a white male, you don't necessarily think this and, this and this. If you're a black female, you don't think this and this and this. If you're, you know, if you identify as whatever, like you don't have these thoughts and you're not going to vote for this person. Uh, and that's troubling to the polls. That tro- that's troubling to advertisers. Uh, and that's troubling to all sorts of economic yeah. <laughs> situations. I mean, honestly, Thomas, I mean, that's that's my job is to say like, oh, well, you know, this person lives in this place and they make this much money and they have this kind of car. So therefore, I can assume that they're going to do this with marketing. And if that's not the case anymore, if we're in a post-normative world, like that's tricky. Um, right. But I, I think Christianity in the United States has had this coming for a very long time. And we're a country that's built on that kind of like table turning, you know, like we are, I've always thought instead of being the city on the hill, like we're the table that Jesus threw over in the, in the temple. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah, it, yes, we could be a new Jerusalem, but we're that temple that Jesus tore down. And now we're trying to reconstruct something that, that we think Jesus would approve of. Um, and for me, it's it really does have to do with definitions, and we've been fighting against this for a long, long time. I mean, Melville wrote about this, and, and Moby Dick, you know, call me Ishmael, like that whole idea of of self identification versus other identification and object uh, objectivity and objectification. Um, Alex de Tocqueville talks about this. Like these are concepts that are kind of built into our national. If, if I can say that, into our <laughs> this, you know, plot of dirt that we're on here on planet Earth. So, OK, so we can't generalize about American evangelicalism, but we can talk about like American concepts, literature. <laughs> right? American <laughs> literature and From concepts the 18th like century, yeah. built into the uh-huh. American dirt. Yeah. OK, I know. No, Found, I, foundational I, truths I, I of our country's history. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. But yeah. you see what I'm saying? Like, so so when I see MSNBC say, well, you know, this is how evangelicals are voting. To me, that's lazy because it sells papers, because people want to read that, because people in the New York Times want to read on the front page how those American evangelicals are voting, because I'm not an evangelical. I'm reading the New York Times. And guess what? I still get the paper New York Times every Sunday. It gets thrown up on my, my porch, and I love it. And I love to, you know, that, that my kids get to see me reading through this you know, big collection of dead tree because, to me, that's important. Um, and I'm not a millennial. But, <laughs> you know, that, that, that idea of um, I, I'm not there. It's, I want that voyeurism into what they're thinking. So it, I don't, I don't want to say that a lot of the coverage that we're seeing about Trump is voyeurism. But every day when there's a new, well, he grew up this person and he did this and he did this and he did this. Like my whole Twitter feed has become like, you know, what the hell did Trump do today that was, you know, asinine and stupid. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I you know, understand and appreciate that. And I don't think anyone should vote for that man, but so-called man. But the idea that 
you know, people on one side of the political spectrum want to say, well, you know, that's it's that evangelical group over there. But they're committing the same sin that the people on the other side are doing on the Breitbart side, you know, with saying like, oh, well, you know, Hillary's a thief and a, and a, and a crook and throw her in jail and all of her voters are, are you know, uh, enablers because, you know, she's attacked Bill's women over the years, whatever. Um, I don't know. You know, it feels like both sides are, are committing the same sin. And, and one side has a better narrative. Um, so because we're running up against the end, I'm just going to let the, like, both sides are equal thing go for now. <laughs> okay. I was trying to get, elicit a response out of you there. I knew that I was know. I knew. You just kept you just kept digging that in and opening the wound even even further. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have time to address that one right now. <laughs> so I think in in one respect, right, the kind of – stereotypes and generalizations about the other side there is some of that i do not think both sides are equally guilty i think that is a significant problem in in our media um and in in our coverage and in our thought and this is you know point that we made earlier this idea the kind of rise of people describing themselves identifying themselves as moderate or independent when they still vote the same way they've always voted they want to feel like they are kind of neutral and feel like they can say oh both sides are really bad well uh, but they're not the same, right? Okay, uh, I, I think I think that narrative is is just demonstrably false. So, um, so I, that's all I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna we're not gonna solve this tonight. I I do think that that something significant is happening within evangelicalism, even if, I mean, and, and even if that is, and it may just be that what is happening publicly is now solidifying in the public persona, the public conception of evangelicalism, that there is no such thing as a capital evangelicalism. And that's, that's fine. But I do think that we are seeing, we are seeing the death of American evangelicalism as we knew it. Right. So I'm going to combine my two ideas. Um, And, and I and I think what we see coming with that is a significant loss of power in the public sphere, which which I don't think can be overstated. And maybe some of that has already been lost. Certainly some of it has been lost. But I think during this election cycle and post the 2016 election cycle, we are going to witness a significant decrease in the power of the religious right Um because of what some prominent evangelicals are have done and are doing with Donald Trump, I think it it will be unrecoverable um, for the movement as a whole, and it will, as always happens, stain everyone else around them, even if they're not involved in that. But everyone who holds who ex, who personally, you know, identifies as evangelical is going to be stained by this election. Thomas, I think. Thomas, there you go again. <laughs> Sorry. Donald. I know. Yeah. I know. You got to get in some of these famous debate zingers. <laughs> anyway, um, that that's what I think we're seeing happen. I, I could be completely wrong, but but that's what I think uh, we're seeing happen right now. Um, it, it, okay. yeah, we'll just have to wait to find out and see if I'm right. I'll, I'll just close this out with a quote from um, Jack Van Impe. Do you remember Jack and Rex Sullivan? <laughs> yes, I know Jack Van Ampey. Yes. <laughs> it was, you would call him an evangelical, right? 
Of course. He's not an he evangelical. Would... Oh, come on. Would he's he call an apocalypticist. Himself? I don't know. Uh, like but he would have called himself an evangelical. <sighs> Your mom calls herself an evangelical. I don't think that's true. <laughs> That's a good place to end. Yeah, we'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I'm a joke. Uh, 